Okay, how is uh, everyone doing today? Pretty good. We're so happy to have all of you join us today because today is a special day as we have or hold the closing assembly of our observance of the Feast of Tabernacles. Last week, we celebrated the first convocation or our first assembly. Today, we celebrate the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles celebration. Now, what is the purpose of the eighth day? Why is it significant for us? And why did Yahuwah establish this and connected it to the Feast of Tabernacles? Let's begin our studies here in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, 33 to 36. Yahuwah said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, Yahuwah's Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work for seven days. Present offerings made to Yahuwah by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to Yahuwah by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. Now, what we read is the instruction of Yahuwah to ancient Israel when they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. Question. When does it begin? On the 15th day of the seventh month. That's the opening or the first convocation or assembly. It's what we held last week. And we are to celebrate for how many days? Seven days. What's interesting is the Bible mentions an eighth day, which is distinct from the seven days. How many here know the reason why? The eighth day is distinct from the first seven days. Why did not Yahuwah just say have an eight-day celebration? Why does it say seven days and then the eighth day? How many here know the answer to that question? Raise your hand if you know. Nobody knows yet? Good. At least we have something to learn today. Is that okay? And so we know it's important for us to have an assembly or a convocation. It is a rehearsal of our faith, trust in the work of our Father in heaven. But of course, it's not enough that we simply have a convocation, that we meet together for worship. We need to understand the reason, the purpose, the themes of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so how many here, because they watch the BHP and the BQA, how many here know the three themes of the Feast of Tabernacles. Raise your head. What are the three themes? The three major themes of the Feast of Tabernacles. Nobody here wants to raise their hand. I might have to call on Brother Paul. <laughs> I think there's only one Paul here, right? Where is he? Somewhere here. I think he's over. I did see him. I don't see him anymore. Oh, there's Brother Paul. How many here know? The three major themes of the Book of Tabernacles. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the next slide. Let's uh, let's give him a chance, right? Okay, Brother Paul, can you can you name us? Can you tell us now the three themes of the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, what are they? Memorial of Boots. What else? The final harvest. What else? The eighth day celebration. We know. When we observe the feasts, it is a moedim. And so we are to rehearse. And at the same time, we act 
as it acts, it serves as a memorial. And so when we look at the theme of the memorial of boots, it is its purpose is to remind us of how Yahuwah protected and provided for them in the wilderness to teach them to trust in our father. But we also rehearse because it's connected to a future event that will be fulfilled by Messiah. What is one future event? Bible says there's a feast of future harvest or a final harvest. When was this fulfilled, beloved brethren? The millennium, or I should say, when will this be fulfilled? Because it will happen in the future. This will take place in a period of time, a 1,000-year period of time called the millennium. And so in the millennium, more people are going to be given an opportunity to be saved because it's a final harvest. People are going to receive the kingdom and receive salvation. This is why throughout the 1,000 years of the period called the millennium, it's going to be a condition where we have peace, no sickness. We have prosperity because when the millennial comes, the conditions prior to the fall are being restored. And so for 1,000 years, the people of Israel, the people of the world will enjoy peace, happiness, and prosperity. But there's only one problem. Do you remember what that problem is? Yes, they will live a long time. Yes, there will be no sicknesses. Yes, there will be prosperity. But the problem is it's still only temporary. It's not eternal because there's still the problem of death. People will still die in the millennium unless you belong to the bride of, the, of Yahushua, unless you belong to the ecclesia. Because if you belong to the ecclesia, you will co-rule and co-judge together with the king. Those who will live a long time are those who are converted. That's why it's called the final harvest during the 1,000-year reign of our king, Yahusha Hamashiach. And so there's still the problem of death. But you know, Yahuwah is going to do something about that problem. What will he do? Well, we find the answer in the next passage. In Leviticus 23, it mentions on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly, a closing assembly. Remember the question that I asked you earlier. Why is the eighth day distinct from the first seven days? Because it points to a different phase of Yahuwah's work of salvation. You have the seven days, that's one phase, and then you have the set apart eighth day, that's another phase. And so we need to look at the numbers that the Bible gives us. How many here are familiar with the number seven in the Bible? There's lots of sevens in the Bible, right? If you have seven days, that's a complete week. And so Yahuwah likes to work using the number seven. And throughout scripture, the number seven signifies what? It signifies completeness, completion. And so when we have something completed, well, it's the end of that phase, right? Because if you have a project, if you have something to do, and you finish what you intend to do, you fulfill your goal, 
the project ends. And so what happens once you find completion of a certain work? There's going to be the eighth day. What does that represent? A new beginning. You know, the number eight throughout the Holy Scriptures signifies a new beginning. Is that biblical? Absolutely. For example, in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 20, likewise you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. There's an instruction by Yahuwah to the people of Israel long, long time ago. Yahuwah says the firstborn is to be given to who? Yahuwah. But it's given to Yahuwah on the eighth day. The first seven days, it belongs to the mother. But on the eighth day, there's a transfer of ownership. It's a new beginning for that firstborn. So the eighth day represents a new beginning. How else does the Bible illustrate that the number eight represents a new beginning? Well, let's go to the next slide because we know our King Yahushua followed the Moedim and the Moedim called the Passover really began on the 10th of Abib. On the 10th of Abib, what do the people do? What is instructed for them to do? We are to select the lamb that's going to be sacrificed to Yahuwah. So every family on the 10th of Abib, what they're going to do, led by the head of the household, is to look for a lamb. Ah, this lamb is perfect. This lamb is going to be sacrificed. On the 14th of Abib, the lamb is to be slain. And so this was followed by our king Yahushua. On Abib number 10, Yahushua was selected. On Abib 14, Yahushua died. And on Abib 17, Yahushua resurrected. And so when you count the days, April 10, I mean, Abib 10 to Abib 17, how many days do you have? Eight days. Eight days represents new life, a resurrected life of our King Yahushua. How else does the Bible illustrate the number eight? Genesis 17, 10 to 12. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born into your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. How else does the Bible illustrate the number eight and its significance and its connection with newness? Here, Yahuwah is speaking to Abraham, and he's going to use Abraham to establish a covenant. This covenant means that a person can become a people of God. The covenant is what the relationship is all about. And so what is the mark of the covenant? Circumcision. This is why during those days, if one wanted to become a people of God, if they wanted to have a relationship with God, it begins when they have circumcision. So circumcision marks the beginning of the covenant relationship. When are they instructed to be circumcised? On the eighth day. Now, why the eighth day? Let's read the book of Leviticus 12, 2 to 3. 
give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her menstrual period. On the eighth day, the boy's foreskin must be circumcised. So why are baby boys circumcised on the eighth day? Because the first seven days, the mother is ceremonially unclean. And so we have here seven and eight, seven days to cleanse the mother. It's a number of completeness. And so when that completeness of the cleansing process has been done, you have a new beginning, a new covenant. The eighth day is the time for circumcision. And so again and again, we find the number eight pointing to a new beginning. The number seven represents completeness. The number eight represents a new beginning. And when it comes to circumcision, it is the mark of Yahuwah given to Israel that indicates who belong and who has a covenant relationship with him. And so we need to make sure that we have received circumcision, right? Raise your hand if you receive circumcision. Oh boy. Why did I ask that question? <laughs> Raise your hand if you're not yet circumcised. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are we still talking about physical uh, circumcision today? What kind of circumcision apply to us today in this new covenant? Let's read the book of Colossians. Chapter 2, 11 and 12, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead, according to Apostle Paul. Do we need circumcision today? What is your answer? Yes. What kind of circumcision? A spiritual circumcision, not a physical one. And so what is this spiritual circumcision all about? It's about being baptized into Christ Yahushua. Because when we're baptized into Christ Yahushua, what is cut off from our life? It is our old self. It is cut off from our life. And so we're buried with Christ Yahushua. A part of us dies. We resurrect into new life. And so again, you find the connection of number eight. The number eight represents new life. The number eight represents a new beginning. This is why when we look at the book of Leviticus, when we study the Feast of Tabernacles, the number eight is significant. Because seven represents completion, eight represents a new beginning. And so why are we talking about a new beginning? That's because there's something in the Holy Scriptures that we are being warned about. And I think many people today, even if they don't believe the Bible, they believe in what we're going to post next, what we're going to show you next. Do you want to see what it is? Go ahead and show the next slide. The end of the world. How many here believe the end, the world is going to end? Yeah? How many here believe the, the world is going to end tonight? 
Is it tonight? But it, will it end? When will it end? Nobody knows. You know who knows? Yahuwah knows. As a matter of fact, the earth has a lifespan. Did you know that? The world is going to end once the lifespan has been met. Completion. What's the number of completion again? Seven. And so seven something is what is allotted for planet Earth. I wonder how long the lifespan of planet Earth is. Well, let's go ahead and look at the book of Isaiah. This is a prophecy in Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Bible tells us that Yahuwah is eternal. And because he's eternal, he knows the end from the beginning. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, he already prophesied about the end. What did Yahuwah do in the beginning? What did he do? Oh, boy. <laughs> in the beginning, blank, blank, blank. Yes. Who said that? Creation, right? In the beginning, Yahuwah God created. And so in the days of creation, Yahuwah also prophesied the end. In the days of creation, Yahuwah allotted how long the earth is going to last for. How long will the earth last for? According to the book of Genesis, when he created, well, how many days did Yahuwah take to create the earth or to create everything? How many days? <laughs> Somebody, some, someone says six, some say seven. You're kind of both correct, right? Next slide, please. Yeah, Yahuwah created six days, and on the seventh, he rested. And so we know, because the Bible is a book of prophecy, there are hidden prophecies in every book in the Holy Bible. Because prophecy is pattern. That's what we're looking for. Pattern and prophecy. In Genesis, the first book of Genesis, Yahuwah chooses to create the world in six days and rest on the seventh. Could he have created the universe in five days? Yeah. Could he have created the universe in three days? Yeah. But what did he choose to do? To create the universe in six days and then rest on the seventh day. Why? To establish a pattern to give a prophecy about the end. You see, the end of the earth is contained in the beginning during the time of creation. So when we look at the seven-day plan of Yahuwah, what we find really is how long the planet earth is going to live for. But before we can get to that point, we need to first remember, well, what did Yahuwah do in the first six days of creation? We're going to have to have a review. Is there someone here from the children's ministry? And we can kind of help us out when it comes to uh, the seven days of creation, right? I guess uh, it was already revealed here. What was, what was done on the first day? Light was created and there's separation of light from darkness. Day number two, separation of the waters, right? 
And then day number three, the seeds that bear fruit were created and planted. And then on day four, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the sun rules over the day. Day five, birds and fishes were created and were commanded to multiply and fill the earth. And then on day six, we know all the an other animals were created. And man, the supreme creation of God on planet earth, man and woman, <laughs> is to rule and have dominion over creation. They are to propagate. And then Yahuwah stops creating. And then the Bible says he rested on the seventh day, right? This is why even during the creation, the seventh day, the Sabbath day is a set-apart day for Yahuwah. Now, why are we talking about the seven days of creation? Because it is prophetic. It is a timeline that will show us what will happen on the earth's history. And so for us to get the connection concerning the days of creation and the history of the earth, we turn to the Apostle Peter in the book of 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4 and 8. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say what happened to the promise that Yahusha is coming again. From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. Here's Apostle Peter. He's explaining to the disciples of our King Yahusha that time will come. In the last days, are we in the last days? Yes. And so during our time, there will be people who are called scoffers. What does it mean to be a scoffer? One who mocks. What will they mock? They will mock the idea of Yahusha returning and ruling over the earth as the Messiah. They will mock that. Why? Because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it hasn't happened yet. How many here? When they were younger, their parents or grandparents told them, you better behave. <laughs> Judgment day is coming soon, right? And then you figure out their grandparents told them the same thing. And so we live now in 20, what is it, 2023? And judgment day hasn't come yet. Also, Peter says, there'll be scoffers, but these scoffers do not understand what they're talking about. Why? Because Apostle Peter has the explanation. It's not yet according to the timeline. Because according to Apostle Peter, the end will not come until everything Yahuwah planned from the days of creation will be fulfilled. That's why Peter said, no, don't worry about those scoffers. They got it all wrong. You see, according to scriptures, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so what we have is, next slide, a one day is 1,000 years in prophecy. And so each day in the seven-day timeline represents what? 1,000 years. And so we did a detailed study on this in one of our BQAs, 
Uh, what is the prophetic significance of one day is as a thousand years. If you haven't seen it, please take the time to watch it because we go in depth concerning that prophecy. Right now, we're going to go through a summary of it. Next slide. We look at the seven-day plan, right? So each day represents how long? 1,000 years. And so we show that on the chart. Each day is 1,000 years. So what does that tell you? We now know the lifespan of the planet Earth. What's the lifespan of the planet Earth? Seven thousand years how long has the earth been here for almost six thousand years and so once we complete seven thousand what's going to happen to the earth it will end that's the end of the world when the earth reaches its seven thousandth birthday seven thousand years is allotted for planet Earth. Now, when we look at the seven days creation, each creation day corresponds to a historical phase in mankind's history. For example, the first day, the separation of light from darkness, the first 1,000 years, we see Adam and Eve, they were thrown or uh, removed from the Garden of Eden. We have Cain, and then we have the sins. And so there was separation between those who were holy and those who were not. That's why you got this, the, the, the line of Seth, the line of Cain. It's unfortunate as time moved on, the, 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 those who were evil, they were more emphasized. They propagated more. They were more evil than those who were good. So much so, what did Yahuwah decide to do? You have day two, right? That's when Noah was instructed to build the ark because the whole world will be destroyed by a flood. And so this corresponds to day two of creation, the separation of the waters. And so day three, uh, day three, it says established seed that bears fruit. And so around 2,000 years to 3,000 years, Abraham was called by God. And Yahuwah says to Abraham, you're going your seed is going to be a blessing for all the nation. Now for a seed to become a blessing, it needs to first be planted. Where do you think the seed of Abraham has to be planted? In the promised land. This is why day three corresponds to Abraham and the promised land. And then we have on day four of creation, we have the sun, the moon, the stars, the sun rules over the day. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, the moon and the stars represent what nation? Israel. The sun represents who? Yahusha, the son of righteousness in Malachi chapter 4. And so he's going to be the light of the world. And so on day 4, it's all about Israel being established and culminating in the arrival of the Messiah. So at the end of day 4, Yahusha is going to be killed. And so now we're going to enter the next set of 1,000 years. And this is about the birds and the fish. The birds, what do they signify today? Well, what is likened to a dove? What's likened to a dove? The Holy Spirit. Yahushua says to his disciples, you'll become fishers of men. And the birds and the fish, they were commanded to propagate 
the earth. And so we have day five is when the ecclesia receives the spirit on Pentecost. And they were given the power to propagate the words of Yahuwah Abba, to propagate throughout the world. So that's day five. And then look at what happens on day six. What does it say on day six? Man is created to rule over and have dominion over creation. Did you know that just a thousand years ago, do you know what the population of planet Earth was a thousand years ago? What was the population of Earth a thousand years ago? <laughs> Nobody knows? Less than 500,000. Yeah, less than 500,000, maybe 300,000 at best. Now we have how many people living on planet Earth? Seven billion? There's an exponential explosion. And so humanity is going to propagate. Man will multiply and fill the earth. Unfortunately, as they propagate and fill the earth, they're not bringing the gospel with them. Instead, what is happening throughout the world? The earth and the world is becoming more and more wicked. It's falling apart. It's collapsing. This is why it's going to come to an end, a system of things on the, at the end of the sixth day to usher in day number seven. You know what is day number seven? What is day number seven? That is the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath corresponds to 1,000 years when mankind will find rest because the king will not be an oppressor, will not be a tyrant, because when you look at the first six days or the first 6,000 years of creation, you find violence and bitterness and hatred. Now, that's all going to change. Because in the millennium, Yahushua will be the one who is king. And mankind will find rest, peace, and prosperity. What is this called? The millennium. The millennial kingdom. This is why when we studied the book of Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tabernacles, it was pointing to the final harvest, 1,000 years of people receiving salvation, given the opportunity to receive the kingdom. And so next slide, the millennium will be the golden age for Israel and for the whole world. In the millennium, the conditions during the time of Adam and Eve is going to be restored. But again, there's that one problem, right? What's the problem again with the millennial kingdom? People are going to have long lives. They're going to have peace and prosperity. They're going to have happiness and joy. They're going to enjoy their homes. They're going to enjoy their work. They're going to enjoy their kids. But the problem is it's only temporary. It may be long, but it's still not eternal. And so that's the problem. There's still what is called death. People still die. This is why when we look at this chart, the millennial, the millennium kingdom, even though it's a fantastic golden age for Israel and the world, it will come to an end. After how many years? 1,000. And so after 7,000 years, after the millennium is completed, what will happen to the earth? It will be destroyed. Is that good news? <laughs> you, might be thinking, you might be saying, how can that be good news? But Yahuwah was not yet finished, right? Because there's a what? Yes. Now you're getting it. Because there is an eighth day. Right? Next slide. And so seven represents completion. 
the planet Earth will live and thrive for 7,000 years. 7,000 years of Earth's history. Once 7,000 years is finished, it's going to end. But the end will lead to a new beginning. What is that new beginning? The eighth day. This is why the eighth day is distinct from the first seven days. And so on the eighth day, what future event is being depicted? Let's read the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 1 down to 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be, what does it say? No more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And so when the earth comes to its end, because it's completed after 7,000 years, Apostle John says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It ended. But when it ended, comes the new. What did Apostle John say? I saw the new heaven and the new earth. What is that represented by? The eighth day. And so a new heaven and a new earth will have a new city. What is it called? The new Jerusalem. You notice everything's new, right? You get a new earth. You get a new heaven. You get a new city. You get a new body. You get a new life. What kind of body? What kind of life? No more death. No more death. No more crying. No more sorrow. No more pain. That's the eighth so when we look at our chart, after seven days, the last being a thousand years called the millennium, it completes the history of earth, and it will lead to the eighth day. So the eighth day represents eternity. And so when we look at the themes of the Feast of Tabernacles, it begins with the wilderness memorial, right? And then the final harvest, and then the eighth day. This is why the Feast of Tabernacles is fascinating. Next slide. The eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles points to a new beginning, the new earth, the new heavens, the new Jerusalem that will be eternal. But there's so much more. Because not only will we have eternal life, there's something that Yahuwah plans and intends to do, which is depicted by the eighth day. And so what is that? Let's go back to what is commanded, because there's a command of Yahuwah when we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Unlike the other feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles has a specific command. How many here know what that is? What makes the Feast of Tabernacles unique? Because in the other feasts, they all have convocations. You notice that? They all have a high Sabbath, right? But what makes the Feast of Tabernacles unique? It's the only feast with this command. You know what the command is? What is it? I think you know the answer. You want me to just read it? Yeah? Let's read it. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16, 13 to 15. 
celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful. Be joyful at your feast. You, your sons and daughters, your manservants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast to Yahuwah your God at the place Yahuwah will choose. For Yahuwah your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands. And your joy will be complete. So what's the command that we find when we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? What makes it unique? For seven days, you're supposed to celebrate with what? Joy. And so it's forbidden to be sad when you're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Even if you have a lot of problems, even if you're sick, even if you have relationship dilemmas, if it's Feast of Tabernacles, you have to say, I can't be sad today. I have to be filled with joy. It's a command. And so this week, we ought to be living with joy. How many here lived the past seven days with joy this past week? Did you have joy? <laughs> Is it too late, brother? <laughs> it's not too late. Because we have the eighth day. What is the eighth day? It's eternal, right? What does that mean? Well, let's find out because our King Yahushua did something on the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. What is that? Let's read the book of John 7, 2, 37 to 38. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Yahushua stood, cried out. Okay, we have here our King Yahushua who celebrated and observed the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And the Feast of Tabernacles that he celebrated was the Feast of Tabernacles that was upheld by the Jews. And so we know the Jews, they have also their traditions. They have their interpretations found in the Mishnah and, of course, the Torah and also found in the Talmud, right? And so they have these traditions, when it comes to celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last, the great day of the feast, Yahusha did something. Because throughout this week, Yahusha was in, was in the temple preaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. But on the last great day, he stood up and he cried. In other words, he said something that moved the hearts and the minds of the people, and it should move our hearts and our minds. He said something. What did he say? For us to appreciate the impact of what he said on this last great day, the closing assembly of the Feast of Tabernacles, we need to understand during the days of Christ on earth, how did the Jews celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, according to history books, according to the Mishnah, the Talmud, Josephus, this is how they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If you were a Jew and you belonged, you lived during the first century. During the temple times, there was a custom of drawing water from the Gihon Springs near the Temple Mount, where the water exits Hezekiah's tunnel as a libation, a water ceremony. They pour water on the offerings to accompany the offerings. This meant pouring out water before the Lord in joyful expressions of thanksgiving. It was done with great rejoicing and much 
ceremony. And so when the Jews celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, they were to have a celebration with joy. And so each day in the morning, they would get some water and pour it on the offerings called the libation, a water ceremony. When they would have this ceremony, according to historians, the people were very, very happy. They were filled with joy. But then when the seventh day comes, which is the end, right before the eighth day comes, they become kind of sad again. I think a lot of us can relate. For example, you have a vacation. You go to Hawaii, seven days in Hawaii. You're eating a lot of food, going surfing. You're enjoying yourself. And then it's the last day of vacation. What do you feel? You feel sad. My vacation's going to end. And you feel sad, right? The Jews felt the same way. You see, every time they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, seven days, it was joyous. And then the eighth day comes, right? And so seven times they would get water from the Gihon Springs and they would celebrate with joy. And then the eighth day comes. But this time, Yahusha watching, what does he do on the eighth day? Let's go back to John 7, 2, 37, 38. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Yahusha stood and cried out. You can imagine the scenery. Perhaps the people were kind of getting sad already. And so Yahushua stands up and cries. And what does he say? Next slide, please. Saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit has not yet given because Yahushua was not yet glorified. And so what did our King Yahushua cry out? What did he cry out to the people as the seventh day is coming to an end and the eighth day is about to come during sunset? Well, Yahushua cried out and says to the people, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me. What did Yahushua say? Out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. The living water promised by our King Yahushua. What is that? What is that? The living waters that he promised. The Holy Spirit. You notice in the promise of our King Yahushua, the Holy Spirit is not just going to be given. What does it say? The Bible says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right now, when Yahuwah gives the Spirit, He pours out His Spirit. But because of our humanness in our present body, this present receptacle cannot contain the Spirit of Yahuwah in full. And so we're unable to keep it. And so when He pours the Spirit, it kind of dissipates away. But here it's different. You notice the Spirit is not being poured, the Spirit is coming from their own heart not only that it's flowing like a river what does that mean the spirit is not simply going to be given there's going to be a continuous receiving and giving a continuous powerful flow of the holy spirit do you know what the spirit gives 
What are the first three manifestations of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? First, love, then joy, then peace. This is why Yahushua is speaking of a time when the people of God, when those who belong to Yahushua will not just receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will become a part of them because the river of the Spirit of Yahuwah is going to go through them and from them they will emanate that same Spirit. When do you think that will be? What is Yahushua referring to? Let's read the book of Revelation 22, 1 down to 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. What place is this, beloved brethren? This is the holy city with the streets of gold. And there inside the holy city, we have the tree of life. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For Yahuwah God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And so when will that be fulfilled? What Yahushua promised. That we will receive. Not just the pouring of the Holy Spirit. But our hearts will dwell from within. Producing a river of the Spirit of God. That will take place on the eighth day. That will take place when the tabernacle of God is with men. That will take place when the holy city is upon earth. What we call heaven on earth. This is what we look forward to. That day when we will be able to have fellowship with God. Unhindered by the barriers of our humanity. Because if you look at what our King Yahushua is promising, he says, we're going to see the face of Yahuwah. When Moses was summoned to Mount Sinai, remember what Yahuwah said to Moses? I cannot let you see my face because if I do, you're going to die. And so he covers uh, Moses and Moses only sees his back. But here, the Bible says, we will see his face. Why? Because our bodies will be changed. We will receive the ability without hindrance to receive fully the power and the presence of our father, Yahuwah. This is why the barriers that hinder us from fully experiencing the presence of and the glory of Yahuwah and Yahusha will be removed and so on that day the eighth day when eternity begins revelation 21 1 down to 4 is a new heaven a new earth a new jerusalem and there will be no more death nor sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away and yahuwah himself will tabernacle with us and with people everywhere and so the eighth day points to a new beginning when death and sorrow are no more, and there is life everlasting, joy everlasting. This is why today, beloved brethren, we celebrate with joy 
This is what the Feast of Tabernacles should move us to feel and move us to do. We need to celebrate with joy. We need to be thankful. We need to praise Yahuwah. We celebrate this day in the Feast of Tabernacles. As we conclude, we are hoping for and look forward to the coming of the Holy City, the heavenly Jerusalem. How many here want to go to the Holy City? I think all of us do. But you know, before we go to the Holy City, if we look at the tabernacles, we have to first go through the wilderness, right? It's not something that we can bypass. As human beings, there are times when we have to endure moments when we feel alone, when we feel like we're in danger, when we feel sorrow and pain and sickness. It's part of our journey. But what must we do so that we can complete our journey, complete our race, and enter the holy city to become true disciples of our King Yahusha? Let's remember the principle of the eighth day. What is that principle of the eighth day? We're almost done. Simply this, the end of self is the beginning of new life. Did you get that? Many people don't like endings. Nobody wants a good vacation to end. Nobody wants a good relationship to end. Nobody wants a good movie to end, or maybe. Nobody wants something good to end. But what the Bible teaches us, the principle of the atheist, with Yahuwah, even if there's an end, there's a better new beginning. Did you get that? Beloved brethren, the life we have now, it's only temporary. Don't be afraid if it comes to an end. Don't be afraid if our dreams sometimes come to an end. Because if we were to give everything to Yahuwah, he will cause a new beginning. And one of the things that we need to fully surrender to so that we can experience a newness of life in Yahushua is recorded in the book of Galatians chapter 2 and the verses 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. For me, beloved brethren, if we truly belong to Yahushua, and if we truly want him to live in us, to guide us, to direct us, we need to put an end to self by crucifying the old self. Because once we crucify the old self, that's the beginning of Yahushua dwelling in us. This is the hope and the message of the Feast of Tabernacles. Don't be afraid of the end. Because when the end comes, Yahuwah's going to say, I have a new beginning for you. Do you know what perfectly illustrates? That when something comes to an end, there's something new that will take its place. We're almost done. But this is an important passage that connects everything that we have been studying so far. In the book of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can now see. 
Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. The things we cannot see will last forever. Here the Apostle Paul, he places two themes together. Things that are temporary and things that are eternal. Things that are of the wilderness and things that are of the holy city. Do you see how Apostle Paul juxtaposes those two themes? What are the things that are temporary, according to Apostle Paul? In the next slide, highlighted in yellow, are dying bodies. Whether we like it or not, we're going to get old. And when we get old, we get sick. Our bodies begin to break down. Troubles are small, and they won't last very long. That's also temporary. What also is temporary? The things that you can see now. The material wealth that people are so proud of, it's only temporary. So Apostle Paul tells us if we're suffering and groaning because of problems in life, because we are sick, because we feel we're dying, Apostle Paul says, don't worry about that. Because when everything comes to an end, there's a new beginning to take its place. What is that new beginning? For example, when our bodies are dying, Apostle Paul says, our spirits are being renewed. Every day. And this is especially true when we surrender our life to Yahushua. He begins to live in us. And we will feel our spirit being renewed. We have so many members of the assembly of Yahushua. Their bodies are getting weaker and weaker. But they're still very, very enthusiastic when it comes to worshiping Yahuwah and Yahushua. Also, Paul says, troubles are small and won't last very long. But then he says, it will produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And so whatever problem you have, it's temporary. It's small compared to what is eternal, which is the glory we're going to share with our King Yahushua. And lastly, Apostle Paul also says, the things we now see, it's all going to be gone. What will replace it? The things we cannot yet see, that is eternal. You see, everything on this earth, the sorrows, the sufferings, even death, it's all part of the wilderness. We're going to leave behind the wilderness. We're going to enter the holy city. The end will come. There's going to be a new beginning. That's the principle of the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And even here, Apostle Paul, when he writes, he feels that he's going to die soon. As a matter of fact, when we read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, do you know what verse comes next? What is the next verse after 4.16-18? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5 and the verses 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. That is, when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself. And not by human hands. Many people think. That death is final. That death is the end. And so people are naturally afraid of death. And Apostle Paul. He is telling him. The disciples of our King Yahushua. He's telling his brethren. He's telling them brethren. If we die. It's not the end. Because we have Yahuwah. For those who belong to Yahushua, when we die, we leave this earthly tent 
And when we leave this earthly tent, Yahuwah has something in store for us. What is that? An eternal body. That's the message of tabernacles. Don't be afraid to leave behind what is temporary so that you can receive what is eternal. Many of us are going through suffering, sometimes to the point of death. We can only imagine Yahuwah from heaven is looking at his sons and daughters. He's probably saying to all of us, if only you can see my son, if you only know my daughter, what I have in store for you. When you die, it's not permanent. When you die, that's the beginning of a new and everlasting life. And you will be given new bodies. The Bible says Yahuwah himself designed a body for us. A heavenly body, not made by human hands. But for each and every one of us. That we can enjoy the eighth day of eternity. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Most holy and gracious Abba. Thank you so much for giving us a message of hope. In this life, we hear news that brings sadness to our hearts. When people become afflicted with sickness, when we experience troubles and sorrows, but you've reminded us, Father, all this is temporary. This is but part of the journey. And when the journey ends at last, we will find a new beginning with you. Father, we stand before you now, filled with hope, brimming with joy, because we know soon we're going to spend eternity with you. Behold your people here, loving Abba. Strengthen our faith. Help us to endure until the end. Bless us with hope that we need, that, Father, we can continue until the end to finish our journey. Our King Yahushua, Please take the time to visit each one of us. We need your presence now. When you stood before the people and cried to everyone that if anyone is thirsty, that we should come to you, we can still hear your voice because you speak to us directly by the power of your spirit. How we long to heed your voice. Please speak to us, O King. Invite us into your abode. Help us to receive your spirit that we can remain strong no matter what we face in this life. We crucify our old self because we want to completely surrender to you. You are our king who cares for us. And so we will do our best to finish our race, fixing our eyes upon you and the promise of eternal life. Father, Yahuwah Abba, all this is possible because of you. If it were not for your unfailing love, we would not be here today. But you know our history. You know our heartaches. You know our stresses in life. You know what we go through day by day. Sometimes we are easily discouraged. Sometimes we begin to lose hope. But Father, we hold on to you when we can no longer hold on. May you be the one to embrace us. Keep us standing, Abba. Help us to be faithful and hopeful that we may all complete our race. 
Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have healed your people throughout the world. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.